Hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line with me, Dr. Michael A. Dolan. I'm professor of Jewish Studies and Bible and academic dean at Moody Bible Institute, and this is Moody Radio's Bible Study Across America. It's where Moody answers your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have a question, give me a call at 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. You can also post your question by going to openlineradio.org, clicking on the link that says Ask Michael a Question. You fill out the form there, and your question will be added to the mailbag. But before we get back to the phones, let me tell you about our current resource. Although we need to read and study and meditate on God's Word, and it's something that most of us are committed to, it can be a challenge for us just to understand it. And that's why Pastor Colin Smith wrote 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible. It's a small book that gives you the big picture of how to read the Bible. Now, what I think is significant is Trisha goes to a church where Colin Smith is the pastor. Yes. So I'm going to ask you, you know, this is, he's telling us 10 keys to unlock the Bible, right? Yes. Does he practice this? Yes. Okay. Tell me about what he's like as a Bible teacher. He, he's very good about um, reminding us that the Bible is telling a one, telling a whole big story. Mm-hmm. Um, so that even when he goes into a series he places that within, um, like, I think it's within his application. He usually will say, now remember, this is also happening within this bigger, broader story of the Bible yeah. that that um, matters to us. It yeah. matters for us. So whatever he teaches, he links it to the big, broad narrative yes. of the story yes. storyline of the Bible. Yes, and yeah. always links it to the gospel. Wow. Like at some point, there, I, I find it really interesting— um, how that that every message he preaches and even the um my campus pastor they always bring in the gospel somehow mm-hmm. and so i know you're really good about talking about the gospel every week even though you may say in a church or on this program probably most of the people believe this already mm-hmm. but There's for that one person yeah for the one person who does it yeah we want them to know yeah. the good news of the gospel yeah and there are people listening. They, they might be actually now uh, clicking on the station. They, they're listening to this conversation. What are we talking about here? Yeah. Uh, I, you mentioned I always try and talk about the gospel. Here's the good news. We all do things wrong, but Jesus died for those wrong things and was raised again. He's alive and ready to forgive us and, and bring us into his family forever if we'll just trust in him, believe in that. That's the good news, isn't mm-hmm. it? It is. It really is good news that we can be with God forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, but you find this book uh, would be helpful for our yes, listeners, don't and you think? and if, it's a very short book. And so if you're thinking, oh, I don't have time to read, there are 10 small chapters, Yep. Um, and you can read one in... Uh, five minutes. Five minutes. Like, yeah. it, it will not take you very long. The whole yeah. book is just over 100 pages. Yeah. It is a small book. And so if you're just sitting on the train, if you're waiting at a doctor's appointment, if you're waiting to pick up kids in the pickup line, you could pull this out and just read... For a couple minutes and read a chapter. Yeah, and then if you apply it, it'll really yeah. help us with our Bible reading yep. if we do it. Well, anyway, I wanted Trish because she she gets to hear Colin Smith all the time. I do. It's uh, great teach, and so I I do too. I teased him once when he was speaking at Founders Week here at Moody, and uh, he's 
he's got a very uh, Scottish accent. He's Scottish, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and he was standing there in his suit getting ready to preach. We were in the the commons, which is a food area. And I said, I don't know who's speaking tonight, but I think he's only good because he's got this Scottish accent. He wouldn't be any good <laughs> if, if he didn't have... And he says, yeah, the guy's no good, but he does have an accent. So anyway, yeah. that's funny. And, and people may know him from his teaching program, Open the Bible, yeah. which is on a daily preaching program. So it's you may Moody also Radio. be familiar mm-hmm. with that that's aired on Moody Radio, many yeah. of these stations. That's right. Okay, if you'd like to get a copy of 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible, this small book that gives you the big picture of the Bible, all you have to do is call, well, here's how you get it. If you give a gift of any size, then we want to say thank you by sending you this book. Just call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And remember, when you give, be sure to ask for 10 keys for unlocking the Bible. And we're going to speak now with uh, John in Chicago, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, John. How can I help you? Good morning, Michael. Thank you. Uh, my wife and I enjoy your show very much. Thank Here's you. my question. As the backdrop to my question, we know that Jesus Christ, if we accept him as our Lord and Savior, his shed blood washes away all our sins, past, present, and future. Now, He also is quoted in Matthew as saying, if you forgive men their sins against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive men their sins against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. So as a sinner washed by his blood, knowing that I'm sealed and will be in heaven forever with Christ, how do you reconcile that when there may be some heinous crime that took place that I just can't forgive that sin, but I'm still saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's, uh, I'm just going to read you something from the Moody Bible commentary. Okay. Uh, it is possible that he means if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. But that runs contrary to the very idea of forgiveness, which by definition can't be earned. It's better to see it as indicating the one's Uh, that one's capacity for forgiving others is tied to the receipt of forgiveness from God, the, the reception of it. If one does not or cannot forgive others, it may indicate that he has not yet received forgiveness, so that forgiving others becomes an evidence of one's forgiveness before God. In other words, once we've been forgiven, we should be forgiving. And it is the if a person says, I will not forgive, I cannot forgive, I do not forgive, uh, it may be an evidence that they really haven't experienced the forgiveness of God. And so that's what I think is happening here in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. Okay? Okay. Great. Thank you, Michael. Sure. Uh, now uh, we're going to speak next with Alan, listening in Palatine, Illinois. On WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Alan. How can I help you? Hi. I have a very valid question. Okay. Okay. Everybody talks about the Holy Spirit. Everybody talks about listening to, receiving, um, hearing from, but nobody really explains how you hear from the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to explain that to, say, a person, a Christian even, how do you 
how do you how do you explain what the Holy Spirit is and how you know the Holy Spirit? How can you hear from it? I can see why churches don't teach about it, really, because you really can't understand how to explain it. Well, I don't. I don't know about that. I think that the Holy Spirit can lead us all sorts of ways. It seems to me that the Holy Spirit can lead us through circumstances, and it becomes apparent that God is leading in a certain way uh, through circumstances before us, or uh, He can affect our conscience. You know, we do have consciences, there's no question, uh, and that can speak to us. But when God is really speaking through circumstances and difficulties and conscience, and and his spirit points out the relationship to what's going on in our conscience with our circumstances, that we could say, oh yeah, that's a discernment, that's a conviction or convincing by the Holy Spirit. Anytime we're convinced of wrongdoing in our lives, I believe that's the Holy Spirit working in our conscience uh, because one of the things that Jesus taught is that the Holy Spirit will convince us of sin. He taught that in John 16, 8 through 11. One of the ways of the Holy Spirit working is to convince us of sin. So uh, he, when he convinces us of spiritual matters, that's the Holy Spirit working. Uh it could be any number of ways, but I don't think the okay. Holy Spirit is limited to speaking. You know, it doesn't have to be an audible voice. He can, the Holy Spirit oh, can... Oh, it's usually not. Yeah, yeah. It's usually uh, not audible. Yeah, but what happens is that the Holy Spirit can convince us of matters even through another person, uh, that another person could speak truth into our lives, and the Holy Spirit can be the one to say, yeah. I needed to hear that. That's that's convincing me. So I think it's okay to to say that the Holy Spirit leads us to be led by the Spirit. How do we get led by the Spirit? You read Romans 8, 2 through 4. Uh, if we keep our mind on things of the Spirit, like the Word of God, the, the Holy Spirit will lead us in the directions that we need to go. So anyway, thanks for your call, Alan. We're going to take a break here. Uh, When we come back, we'll be taking more of your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. The phone number here, 877-548-3675. If you can't get through, I hope you'll try, but if you can't get through, you can always go to openlineradio.org, click on Ask Michael a Question, and you can then post your question there. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. Welcome back to Open Line with me, Michael Wright Elnick. So glad you're listening today. Uh, I have these friends. That they may actually be listening right now. They're in their car on a trip, and they told me they're going there. And they recently told me that they had become kitchen table partners. They decided to give monthly to Open Line because they believed it was an investment in God's kingdom. And I'm so grateful that they believed that and they acted on it. But here's what they also said. They said that they're praying that the Lord would double the number of kitchen table partners in order to double the impact of Open Line. (laughs) I thought, what a generous couple. But they, they have a broader vision than even I imagined for 
open line listeners and kitchen table partners. What I found amazing is I had mentioned this a few weeks ago on the radio, and I was looking at our Facebook page, and a woman wrote that she had become a kitchen table partner just because of the challenge from this couple who said that they were praying to double the impact of open line. I think, wow, God is so gracious. All these people who want to be part of this, to be part of the the program, to be partnering with us in keeping us on the air. I'm so grateful. And you can become a kitchen table partner too if God is uh, using open line in your life, encouraging you, helping you uh, in your walk. If you've given a gift from time to time, but you think now uh, I'd like to become a kitchen table partner and give monthly to open line, I just want to say thanks if you'll do that. And when you do, one of the ways I say thank you is to every other week, I'll send you a Bible study moment. It's a Bible study, a few minutes, just designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners. Become a kitchen table partner by calling 888-644-7122. That's 888-644-7122. Or you can give online or sign up online at openlineradio.org. We're going to speak with Dawn in Sycamore, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Dawn. How can I help you today? Good morning, Dr. Rydelnik. Um, I'm uh, reading through the Bible this year in a new format in chronological order, and I'm really enjoying it. But my main question is in regards to uh, Ezekiel's great temple vision in Ezekiel 44, 1-3. Uh, who's being revealed to Ezekiel by the Lord? Who is, who's the prince? Now, have you looked in the open, the uh, Moody Bible commentary about that? No, I have not. I actually don't have the Moody Bible uh, commentary. You know what, Dawn? I want to send <laughs> you a Moody Bible commentary, okay? Oh, so, uh, thank you. You know, I've mentioned it once before. Uh, okay. Last, uh, last hour, last segment, I remember I mentioned it about Matthew. Uh, and it's such a helpful tool when you read the scriptures, when you have a question just like this, uh, okay. one of the best things, I'm going to answer it, but one of the best things to do is to check the Moody Bible commentary. It will help you as you're trying to read through the whole Bible. It will be a great resource okay. for you. And especially if you have questions about Ezekiel, because the co-author of the Ezekiel commentary was my wife, Eva. Uh-huh. Uh, it was written by Charlie <laughs> Dyer and Eva oh, Rydelnik. So, uh, so let me okay, tell you what, you. I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you what Eva said, okay? okay. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I remember when she was working on this passage. Uh, she said, uh, some suggest, oh, by the way, the first thing she says about him is that the word prince, yeah. nasi, literally means leader. And it might be okay. best translated leader, not prince. Uh, sometimes, okay, like for example, the word Nasi today is the word that's used for the president of Israel in Hebrew. Okay. Okay. So, uh, the leader will, uh, sit in the gate. Okay. Some suggest mm-hmm. this prince or leader is the Messiah. However, evidence is to the contrary. The prince or leader is not the Messiah because the leader made a sin offering for himself in Ezekiel forty-five twenty-two. Uh, That's not something Mm -hmm. the Messiah would do. Further, this leader has natural children. That's not true of the God-man, the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Uh, It says that he will have a special portion of land allotted to him. Yes. Uh, Whereas Mm -hmm. if it's the Messiah, the whole land belongs to him. 
right? <laughs> the whole land owns, yeah. he owns it. <laughs> yeah. So some have suggested that this is resurrected David in the kingdom, that he'll be the prince okay. under the Messiah. But there's nothing in the text that would indicate that. So more likely, she says, this prince will be a special messianic representative uh, in a unique sense, probably a special leader designated by him, serving, maybe he's from the house of David, uh, resurrected, and he'll have the privilege to eat bread before the Lord, possibly referring to mm-hmm. the fellowship offerings of the worshipers. But he's going to be a special leader chosen by the Messiah Jesus to be sort of an under-shepherd of the people. Okay? Under-shepherd. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah, don't, Sorry, don't hang up, Dawn. appreciate it. Uh, what we want to do is send okay. you a Moody Bible commentary. Trish is going to pick up. Uh, so she'll pick up and get your address. And if you're listening, you think, why is he talking about the Moody Bible Commentary? This was done by the faculty of Moody Bible Institute. I had the great privilege of being co-editor with Mike Van Lanningham. And I think it's just a great resource for helping you when you have a question about the Bible. It will generally give you the answer. Most commentaries will talk all around things and not answer the question. But I think the Moody Bible Commentary does a good job of answering the questions you have, gives you the big picture of the text, reveals Messiah in the Old Testament regularly uh, in all these passages that talk about him. I think it's a great resource. And if you don't have one, maybe you should get one. All you have to do is check out your local Christian bookstore, or you can uh, go to your favorite online bookseller and pick up a copy of the Moody Bible Commentary. Uh, We're going to speak with Estelle in Schaumburg, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Estelle. How can I help you? Good morning, Dr. Idelic. Thank you for uh, asking my question today. I'm kind of in a dilemma about uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11. Mm-hmm. regarding lawsuits against other believers. Mm-hmm. I've never heard anyone speak about it. Mm-hmm. Well, 1 Corinthians 6 <laughs> is talking about civil disputes. It's not talking about matters of criminal activity. That's, right. That's very important to distinguish. Uh, right. Right. So, for example, if one believer assaults another believer, which we think it can't possibly be so, but it is possible. I've actually seen congregational meetings end up in a uh, physical assault, believe it or not. It seems disreputable and terrible, but it, it did happen. Uh, I, I remember a number of years ago, probably 35 years ago, I read about a Fellowship Baptist Church in Texas where after they had such a big dispute, the, tech, the deacons, one deacon got out a gun and shot another deacon. I mean, that's how bad things can get sometimes in churches. But the reason, I, I, I don't think 1 Corinthians 6 doesn't, I don't think it pertains because in matters of criminal, it is not a person-to-person charge, but rather it is the state that brings charges against the criminal, not the, not the individual believer. And so it doesn't pertain to that. But when we do have civil disputes, what we need to do is not be judged by the, 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 what Paul says. How, why should we be judged by the world? We should, we who are going to judge angels, we 
should be the ones that judge each other in the matter of civil disputes. So I would say bring it to your congregation. Uh, there are circumstances where a believer can't bring it to their congregation, but perhaps the best thing might be to bring it to some sort of Christian arbiter, Christian mediation service and arbitration service. Uh, that's one of the things that a number of the publishing houses that I've signed contracts with, it says if there's a dispute the contract uh, about the contract, it will be resolved by Christian arbitration. It specifically says uh, Christian arbitration and not the state uh, court. So it says we have to agree to arbitration by Christians rather than uh, going to the courts. That makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, but then on the other hand, what does Paul say if, the, if he can't bring it to a believer to judge it? Then he says it would be better to be wronged. If you can't, if you can't get it resolved the way you would like within the context of believers judging you, First Corinthians six says, rather be wronged than than let people who are not believers judge us. Now the reason First Corinthians six, I think this is a really crucial matter. Uh, very often in the Jewish world in in the first century, if there was a civil dispute in the Jewish world. They would bring it to the synagogue, and and not let the pagans judge them. They would, they would only let the synagogue judge them. And Paul is just taking this principle out of the synagogue and applying it to the church, to only let believers judge us, and rule and make rulings about this. Does that make sense? No, I I I I have a problem with that because it is civil. And it's concerning a security deposit that I should be returned, but the believer chose to falsely uh, list things that were not true, and I tried to get it settled through the church, which that person wouldn't uh, do. So they have kept money that's mine. Mm-hmm that I should have received from my security deposit. So you're saying that I should just let that go. Sadly, for, for the circumstances, if you feel you've been wronged, I think I would, maybe if the church won't, uh, maybe it's time to ask the church to see if they could help you with this financially because uh, the person won't settle uh, appropriately. That's where I would go. I'd go back to the church, Estelle, and see if the leadership of the church would help you with your security deposit that you've lost. Okay? So don't take this to their church since the other believers... Oh, yeah, you can take it You can take it to their church. Absolutely. I was told I uh, just, shouldn't take just it to don't take church. it church. No, no, take it to the church. Just don't take it to the courts. That's what I would say. Okay, so if I... Since this individual a demand letter in regards to the issue, and they still you know, you know what? Let, let me just tell issue. you, get some guidance from your pastor. But I would say the best thing to do is to write to the church, okay, uh, and say that you've got an issue and you would like it to be resolved, uh, and hold them accountable before the elders. You do your best that way, uh, and then if if that doesn't resolve it then go back to your church, see if you can get some help that way. But 
regardless, I wouldn't take anyone to court about that. Uh, I, I think it's a good principle to only let believers judge believers. Okay? Uh, thanks for your call, Estelle. We're going to uh, take one other quick call here. David in Idaho, listening on KMBI. Welcome to Open Line. How can I help you today? I think I'm going to have to join this um, Kitchen Table Partners. Oh, okay. Good. Thank you. About three That's, prayers yeah. in the last out of three conversations, not not just previously, but the other three were uh, answered prayers. Great. So let's talk a little bit about Feast of Trumpets. I know um, you like limiting the people to one question, but I've got like three related well, no, just questions. A, I, listen, you've got less than a minute. If you just got to ask your question, just ask one. Oh, just one question. My goodness. Um, how does a Christian celebrate the Feast of Trumpets? And actually, when is the Feast of Trumpets that it's, no one knows the name it, or the hour? Well, the Feast of Trumpets is next Saturday. It's the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah. And no one knows the day or hour of the return of the Lord Jesus, but the Feast of Trumpets, is. Not, there's no guarantee that the Lord Jesus will return on the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, so uh, that, that you know, no one knows the day or hour of his coming, but we do know when Rosh Hashanah is. Uh, and that's next Saturday. And uh, a person could observe it by... Uh, meditation on the, they could they're not obligated to observe it but they could observe it by self-reflection uh, and recommitment to their walk with the Lord they could go to a messianic congregation for services uh, they can blow the chauffeur to remind them to commit their lives to the Lord and that he's coming back hope that helps David thanks for your call and we'll be right back on, right here on open line with the mailbag Welcome back to Open Line. I'm so glad that you're listening today. And I'm really grateful uh, that Trish is coming along right now with the FEBC mailbag. Uh, They're back, right? We're so glad that FEBC, Far East Broadcasting Company, is partnering now with Moody Radio to bring you Open Line. And uh, they're back, and they've done that before, and we're really grateful for it. You can get a deeper perspective on how the gospel is advancing in the world's most unreached countries through the weekly podcast. It's called Until All Have Heard, and it features my really dear friend, Ed Cannon, who is uh, former COO of Moody Bible Institute and the president of Far East Broadcasting Company. He is so excited about the gospel and getting it out in all the world. You're going to love that podcast until all have heard. And you could check it out the way you find it. Uh, all the details for this podcast and also all about the extensive outreach that FEBC has. All you can do, the best thing to do is go to FEBC.org. That's Far Eastern Broadcasting Company, FEBC.org, and check out their podcast. Okay. Uh, Trisha, yes, you've got questions like crazy. I'm, yeah. I'm looking here at uh, pictures, even that you, yeah, se- yes. you sent me. The pictures. The picture is because I had emailed the um, Susan, who okay. is the one who emailed, and I said, "Can you tell me a little bit more of what you're talking about?" And so she included a picture so that okay. I had some sort of visual to understand better her question. So okay. so feel free if you need to attach a picture for me to understand your question better. Feel okay. free to do that. 
Uh, so Susan's question, she has been watching The Chosen, um, and she said, in that show, the Jewish men wear four tassels that hang off of the hems of their tunics. She wants to know what's the origin and meaning of those, if Jewish men still wear them, and if women wear them. Just men. Okay. And uh, it's from the book of Numbers. Uh, it's called tzitzit. Uh, that's the, the word for it in Hebrew. And it says, uh, speak to the Israelites, Numbers fifteen thirty eight. Speak to the Israelites and tell them throughout their generations they're to make tassels for the corners of their garments and put a blue cord on the tassel at each corner. They will serve as tassels for you to look at so that you may remember all the Lord's commands and obey them and not become unfaithful by following your own heart and your own eyes. This way you'll remember and obey all my commands and be holy to your God. So the tassels are a reminder. It's sort of like putting a string around your finger to remind you of something. God said to Israel, put tassels on your garment and that will be a reminder to keep the Torah, that you're always devoted to keeping the Torah. What I think is interesting is there was a blue thread. Uh, it's no longer found among Jewish men today who keep the... Who, there are Orthodox Jewish men who wear tassels. Some people wear them outside. You could see it when you see ultra-Orthodox men. Uh, they have their, their tzitzit, their tassels, hanging out of their... It's under their shirt. They have a thing under their shirt, but it comes out... The tassels come out at their hips and hang down. Uh, you can see that, and uh, they don't have the blue cord anymore. According to the rabbis, the the blue dye that was necessary for making the blue cord was for a came from a fish that is now extinct, and it was a fish that was exclusive to the Red Sea, and it's now extinct, and they can't get that blue anymore. So it's just a little, it's just white cloth. Now, uh, white string tassels, and Jewish people still wear them today, Orthodox Jewish men. You see it in the Chosen. What's interesting to me is most likely when the Syrophoenician woman touches the hem of the Lord Jesus' garment, mm -hmm. it's, she's touching the tassel hmm. that okay. he was wearing. Okay. So that's what it is. Oh, interesting. There were, there were lots of these visual, do this so that you remember I am your God. Yep. There, there were, um, I was going to say monuments, but um, like rocks stacked up. Reminders. The stones of remembrance. Yeah. There were the, the mezuzahs over the door. There yeah. were these tassels just to remind them, mm -hmm. remember who I am yeah. and where I've brought you from. Yeah. And so it's, it's, a, you know, it's so easy to forget, to go yeah. about our lives. Yeah. And what God was saying in the law was, I don't want you to forget. Yeah. You know, keep remembering. Yeah. So us putting a little index card in our visor or on our bathroom mirror or yeah. those types of things <laughs> would be kind of biblical in terms of don't forget, like yeah. put these words out. So you're seeing them and being reminded of them exactly. every day. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for that question, Susan, and for the picture to help me know what you meant. Yep. <laughs> uh, Sherry wrote from Michigan, listened to WGMB and wants to know how old Samuel was when Hannah brought him to the priest um, she had always thought he was three, but recently read maybe he was closer to 12. Do we know how old Samuel was? Mm, I do not off the top of my head. I'm going to quick look here at the text. 
Uh, uh, when uh, it's in First Samuel here, uh, Hannah brings Samuel to the the tab- tabernacle, and it doesn't really give his age, does it? I don't no, think I so. think the thing it talks about is it was after after he, he was, was weaned, weaned, right? But but that's as specific as it gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at it here. Uh, Please, my Lord, as you live, uh, I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord, and he went and served there. Uh, so Hannah stayed there and nursed her son till she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him with her, her to Shiloh. So probably three or four is probably what I would think. That's, okay. they, they didn't wean children as young as we do in our culture. Probably around three is right. Okay. The mm-hmm. bull was three. It does tell us yeah. that. But yeah, <laughs> it, it doesn't sound like there was a gap between the weaning and the and the give, the deliverance of the boy to the tabernacle. Okay. So I think he was littler. Okay, and and mine, I have an NIV um, mm-hmm. in front of me, and it says young as he was. It includes kind of um, almost as a parenthetical. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, mm-hmm. along with a three-year-old bull. Yeah, yeah. So I implying think he, was, he would be younger than yeah. twelve at least. I, you know, I'm suspecting that someone would think that oh, he was brought to the tabernacle when he was twelve, approaching a certain age of bar mitzvah or something like mm. that. But okay. there was no bar mitzvah back then, so that, okay. that, that probably wouldn't be right. All right. Next question is from Kathy, um, who loves the program. Thank you, um, Kathy. <laughs> we love it that you listen. Uh, she says, I'm a believer and even believe in healing, although everyone I love has not been healed, and yet we keep faith. Why do we not see healing when we truly believe in healing? Well... There are only various periods of time in Scripture. When you think about the Scriptures, it, it begins. the Scriptures really begin around 2000 B.C. with, with Abraham, meaning that, of course, there's primeval history, but we've got about 2000 B.C. Those were in the events of Scripture where we can kind of date them. No one knows exactly the date of when the, uh, the flood was or... I don't believe we even know the date of creation, you know, when Bishop Usher said 4004 B.C. We don't know that because there may have been gaps in the genealogies that we're not aware of. So, but I I believe in a young earth, but I don't know when, you know. Uh, However, 2000 B.C. is a good time to start with Abraham in Genesis 12. And then we go to the, the Gospels, which is covering about... 30, 29 through 33, and then the book of Acts and the epistles takes us to the end of the first century. So we've got about 2,100-year history in which only uh, three periods of time covering about 200 years, 10%, did we see healings and miracles regularly. So we've got the time of Elijah and Elisha, we have the time of Moses and Joshua. I should, shouldn't leave that out. A lot of miracles. Then we see a lot of miracles in Elijah and Elisha's day. With Moses, the giving of the Torah. With uh, Elijah and Elisha, it's the start of the prophetic movement in Israel and new revelation through the prophets. And then 
in the Gospels, we have the Messiah, Jesus, and the Apostles, uh, New Covenant, new, uh, new Revelation again. So every time God gives new revelation, we see an outpouring of miracles. However, other times we don't see a ton of miracles. Uh, there's more providence of God than miraculous intervention. Providence means God using normal circumstances to bring about his will. Now, that said, I do believe that God can heal. He's certainly capable of it, but it's not like we have the gift of healing today. A gift is something that can be acted on at any moment. You know, Paul could heal Peter, for example. He goes to the, the temple, and he sees the beggar there, and he doesn't just say, I'm going to pray for your healing. He says, silver and gold I don't have, but I do have this. In the name of Jesus, walk. That's because he had the gift of healing. He could just do it. And I'm like, oh, man, I wouldn't have the chutzpah, the audacity to do that. But I would say to someone, I'm praying for your healing. And that said, I would say that the best thing to think of is that we can pray for healing, but it's not going to be an automatic just as it was with the apostles, for example, who had the gift. So I believe in miracles. I believe God can do miracles. We can believe in faith. But uh, ultimately, here's my faith, that when I pray for healing for someone and God doesn't heal them now, he still will answer that prayer because one day that person will be resurrected without an illness if a person is a believer. And if I'm praying for a believer's healing, it'll be either the right then or God might heal through providence using doctors and medicine and things like that or surgery or ultimately healing in the, the resurrection. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Well, All right. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I appreciate it. And we never want to forget that God is powerful. When people are sick, I think it's always imperative that we pray. I was talking with a physician a few months ago, and he said, he's, he's a not a follower of Jesus, but he's an Orthodox Jew. And he said that he has seen studies that show that oncology patients do much better when they're prayed for hmm. than when they're not. So let's remember that. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to come right back with more of your calls in just a moment. That was Trisha McMillan. I'm Michael Radelnik, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Michael Radelnik. So glad you're listening today. And we're going to go right back to the phones with your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. By the way, you can still call. We've got a couple of segments left, or one segment left over, right? Uh, so here we go. Ready? Uh, Jane in Bonita, Florida, listening in WSOR. Uh, welcome to Open Line, Jane. How can I help you? Good morning or good afternoon, Dr. Rydelnik. Uh, this is my first time listening to your show. and Wait, wait, wait. I You've never listened some... to Open Line? <laughs> no. My other friend named Jane told me about it last night because I have these burning questions, and she said, talk to, listen today, and, and listen, and they may answer it, and so I just decided to call you. So my well, husband listens you. to Moody Radio every morning um, on, the, on his way to work, but um, I'm a Moody Radio I've listened for years, but I've never heard your program. So well, thank you for listening. I have a burning question. Yes. So um, <clears throat> I've been a believer about 40 years, um, and probably the last 15, I've had a real conviction that as modern-day Americans, 
um, <clears throat> we are not doing it right. I really have a conviction that we should not be celebrating um, church on Sunday, but we should be honoring the Sabbath as Jesus did, as is stated in the commandments. And the truth Sabbath is, what, Friday night to Saturday night or Saturday? I'm not quite sure, but I just have such a conviction about going to church on Sunday. Um, and so that's one question. Um, wait, wait. And then the what? other one is about graven and well, let's, let's just stick so, to one at so, a time. And, Jane, you're going to have to call back okay, next week with you. graven images, okay? Uh, the Sabbath okay. question's big enough. Okay. Okay. Uh, first of all, you're right that God gave the Sabbath to Israel. That's a really important distinction to make. Uh, he gave the Sabbath to Israel. He made it part of the Ten Commandments. Now, one of the aspects of the Law of Moses is though there's wisdom in the law of Moses and every commandment of the 613 still would pertain to us with wisdom. So, for example, the kosher laws, there's wisdom in being distinctive from uh, even though the Lord Jesus declared all foods clean in Mark 7, verses 19 and 20. It talks about that. But even so, it's the point of the kosher laws was to keep Israel distinct. So the wisdom of that is that we have to find some ways of being distinct and different. Uh, holy is what it is from uh, distinctive from others. Uh, the Sabbath law, even though God rested on the Sabbath at creation, even so uh, he didn't command it until Sinai when the people of Israel were taken out, and he gave it to them. It's interesting that in the book of Exodus, it seems to say that the Sabbath is the outward sign of the, the commandments, of the Sinai covenant, of the law of Moses. Uh, it says, for six days, work is to be done, uh, and then you're supposed to rest on the seventh day, and then it says that the Lord gave this as a sign to you. Uh, and so the idea is it's the, just like the, you know, you know, the Abrahamic covenant. What's the sign? Well, the sign is that, uh, uh, that your circumcision, right? That's the sign there. However, uh, the, the other, uh, commandments, the sign of the Noahic covenant is the rainbow. The sign of the Mosaic covenant is the Sabbath. And, and so here's what I'm trying to say about this is that in the new covenant, the Sabbath commandment is not repeated. Why? Because we're into the new covenant and I don't think he wanted to repeat the Sabbath commandment, which is the sign of the old covenant. And the reason, I think there's still wisdom, I think we should take a day off. We should take a day of rest. Uh, we should take a day of spiritual renewal. That's a good, wise principle. But according to the New Testament, the New Covenant, it doesn't have to. So we're still under the Sabbath in the sense that we should still take a day of rest and spiritual renewal, physical rest and spiritual renewal. But it doesn't have to be on Friday night through Saturday night. Uh, the Sabbath. Here's what Romans 14 says. It says, 
in verse 5, one person considers one day to be be above another day. That's you. You think Saturday, right? Someone else considers Mm -hmm. every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. So if it's your conviction and you think you need to do it, Paul's saying that's fine. But other people can have a different conviction and Mm -hmm. follow that. That's, but the principle is take a day as a Sabbath for physical rest and spiritual renewal. We need that. Okay. But in the new covenant, it doesn't have to be on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Does that help? Yep. Yep. Uh, Yeah. In a way, I just feel like um, the Christian churches is uh, getting a little off track and following uh, um, but the Catholic Church set up in Constantine yeah. years ago, and well, I just I Jane, want to be Jane, deceived. hang on a second. Hang on a second. It's not about the okay. church. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Don't let people judge you. Don't judge people because they don't agree with you about okay. this. These are yeah. sh- a yeah. shadow of what was to come, but the substance is the Messiah. In other words, all those features were designed to point us to the Messiah, but today we have the reality of the Messiah, Jesus. And so we can celebrate, uh, take a day off or have a festival. We can do all those things on Sabbath, on the festival, or in some other way. Uh, but we don't want to, I, I, I prefer, for example, keeping the Jewish festivals, but I wouldn't put it upon you to do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm, I'm doing it with you. Thank okay. you. Okay. <laughs> Great. Okay. Thanks Jane. Appreciate your call. And, uh, wow, that was a good call, but took up, took a little more time than I thought it would. Uh, appreciate your call, Jane. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for being a new listener. And that's the program for the week. We're going to come back next week with more of your questions. If, uh, As always, I'm grateful for our staff here, Trisha McMillan, Courtney Young, and Lynn for answering the phones. We're grateful for all that they do to keep us on the air. Keep in touch with us by going to our website, openlineradio.org. The page has a link to everything you need, past programs, uh, but especially how to become a kitchen table partner or to get our current resource. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. See you next week. Thank you.